Tonight, we're going to be in 1 Kings 17, and we're going to try to make it about halfway through chapter 18, uh, if possible. And just to kind of give you an idea, just to remind you of where we're at, um, Ahab is the king of Israel at this point. Remember, Israel and Judah have split. The nation Israel is split into two parts or two nations, essentially, if you will. Ahab's ruling up in the northern kingdom, and Judah is in the southern kingdom. Uh, Asa is ruling down there in the southern kingdom at this point. And uh, what we learned last time we gathered together and met was Ahab was a really uh, bad king when it came to spiritual things. You know, when it came to, to those things of the Lord, he, it was trivial to him that he, he didn't even care about the things of God. And he'd, he'd gone so far, you know, it was one thing to set up false gods and worship God falsely, but Ahab had crossed over the threshold and he married this woman named Jezebel and they have actually started to worship, worship Baal. And they were focusing on worshiping Baal and they were, they were literally trying to wipe out God from, from the nation Israel. And uh, on the scene comes a guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is going to be a prophet of the Lord, and we're going to see some amazing things in Elijah's life. But I want you to also realize as we go through this chapter and a half tonight, we're going to get to see Elijah develop spiritually. And I, I want to draw, some, draw your attention to one point on, and we'll make it both now and at the end of our message. Elijah, as we walk through with him, he gets from the Lord one step at a time in the next thing he's supposed to do. I, find it, I think it's amazing because we, we, we look at guys like Elijah and we get to see all the stuff that he's going to do, some really cool stuff coming up for the Lord. You know, he's going to call down fire from heaven and all this stuff. But he's just a guy who the Lord's going to lead one step at a time. And he doesn't know the next step. And I'm going to try to kind of, I'm going to try to kind of show you, you know, the things that he might be feeling as he takes one step after the other and try to kind of really give us a good understanding on who he was. So let's look at chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. This is a pretty bold statement. Elijah goes before the king of Israel. Up until this point, nobody really knew who Elijah was. We, you know, we, we, we know that he's a prophet of the Lord. His name means Yahweh is my God. That's what Elijah means. Yahweh is my God. So simply by his name, Ahab would have known, you know, who he was standing for. And notice what he does. He goes in front of the king. And remember the power that the king had in those days. You know, he could just have your head cut off. He could just kill you if he didn't like what you were saying. And Elijah stands before the king and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. So in a sense, he was saying, you might be trying to wipe out God, but God is still alive. You might be trying to shift everybody to worshiping Baal and, and Ashtoreth and other gods, but God, the Lord God of Israel, is still alive and still living. He makes it very clear to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, and he also makes it very clear who his allegiance is to. He says, before whom I stand. That's a pretty bold statement, standing before a king, wouldn't it be? I might be standing here before you, but I'm really standing before the Lord God. He understands his perspectives. His perspectives are clear. I am standing first before the God of Israel, Yahweh God. Uh, Yahweh is my God is essentially what his name means. I am standing before God, not you, King Ahab, not you, not yourself. And he says something really interesting. He says, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now you might think, well, he's just telling the king, it's the, you know, the weather's going to be kind of dry for the next few years. But you have to remember, Ahab was worshiping who? Baal. Baal was the god of the sky, the god of the weather. So essentially, when, when Elijah is laying down this, 
this, this directive, he says, my God, the God of Israel, is going to see to it at my request that it's not going to rain until I say so. Essentially, he's, he's basically thrown down the gauntlet and said, I'm going to trump Baal. My God is going, to, is going to walk all over your God. You can pray to your God all you want, and there's going to be no rain because God of Israel is not going to allow it to happen. Now, and I want you to be clear on this, and, and for, those, for the guys, we've been reading through the book of James. If you just turn real quickly over to the end of James, at chapter 5, we see Elijah's name pop up. And uh, James has something to say, and it gives us a little bit of insight into our passage tonight. James chapter 5, verse 17, tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I like that. Just like us, nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So James casts a little bit of insight on what's going on in 1 Kings. The best commentary on the Bible is always the Bible, right? And here James tells us that Elijah is not simply there proclaiming the problem of no rain. He's causing it. It was at his directive, at his prayers. His prayers are the ones that God is answering. Well, he leaves the king apparently, and then in verse 2 we pick up. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here. And turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now, why would he have to get away from there? Because what's going to happen when it doesn't rain? Things are going to start to dry. Who are they going to blame it on? He just became real popular all of a sudden. Word's getting out. He would have been on the cover of Time magazine for that prophecy. You know, he would have, he would have made the news. He he's, he's, would have made Facebook and Twitter. Elijah says there's going to be no rain. And all of a sudden, things start to dry up and there's no rain. It starts to actually happen, so the Lord protects him. The Lord says, hey, Elijah, it's time to get out of town. It's time to go before things get really bad. And he says, I want you to go, I want you to get away from here, and I want you to turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith. Now, God didn't tell Elijah to go stand before the king, and then he was going to have to flee, did he? He said, go stand before the king, declare it to the king, and now God says, I want you to go flee in this place. I want you to go hide out by the book, brook Cherith. And by the way, the word Cherith, it means to cut away, to cut up or to cut off. And it gives the impression that Elijah is going there to get ministered to and to get some training and to spend some time with the Lord and learn a few things about God. Because as he's made this bold thing, now he gets out of town, he's hiding by the brook Cherith that flows into Jordan, and God does tell him what's going to happen. It will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So essentially God says, all right, Elijah, get out of town, hide by the brook, you're going to drink from the brook, and the birds are going to feed you. Now, if you're anything like me, you start thinking, wait, 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 God, God, hold on, stop, God. You're going to have me go live by a brook. I just declared a drought. What happens to the brooks in a drought? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go, it's probably going to dry up, right? Lord, how about a spring? Could you send me to a spring? Well, at least a spring would be coming out of the ground, but brooks I'm not so sure of. Let, let, how about a spring? Do I really have to go by the brook? And, and by the way, ravens, birds, what do birds picture in the, what do they represent in the, in the Bible? Evil, it represents uh, unclean, it was an unclean, a raven was an unclean animal. You weren't supposed to eat a raven, you weren't supposed to eat anything that a raven had actually carried in its beak or anything, it was, it was an unclean animal. So in other words, God's saying to Elijah, I want you to go hang out by the brook. The birds are going to feed you. Look at verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That is so important. Don't ever miss the points in the Bible where they say, so he went 
and he did, and he went, and he obeyed, and he did. Because that is so, so important. Don't just skim over that. He went, for he went, and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. It's the obedience. The first step, go talk to the king. The second step, get out of town, and I want you to move here. Okay, I'll go here, God. Has God told him what's coming next? No. He's, he's following the Lord one step at a time. As the Lord un, 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 unveils his, his direction, as the Lord tells him, Elijah, this is what I want you to do next. Oh, we need to learn that lesson, don't we? When it comes to your relationship with the Lord, follow one step at a time. What has the Lord told you to do today? Where are you, what, what are you, what is, you know, people often say, well, I don't really hear from the Lord. And I often say, go back to the last thing you heard and ask yourself if you've done it. What's the last thing the Lord told you to do? I want you to, you know, stop this. Okay, well, have you done it? Well, no, but I'm not really hearing from the Lord. Well, you haven't done what he told you to do. Why is he going to give you step three and four and five when you haven't done step one and two yet? Or you haven't done step one. It, it, it works in a process. He likes his people to be, to be uh, reliant upon him and in touch with him for the next direction. It draws you close. Elijah doesn't know what's going to take place. He doesn't know that he's, on, he's getting ready to set off on a journey for three and a half years. He figures, I'm just going to hang out of town for a week until this blows over and something happens. But he's, for three and a half years, he's going to be there. So he does. He goes out to the brook. He did according to the word of the Lord, for he went. And he stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. There's been no rain in the land. So here's Elijah. He's down by the brook. He's hanging out by the brook. The birds are, it's pretty cool. You know, I'm really not supposed to be eating of this unclean animal, but, you know, they're dropping off food. I'm kind of hungry, so I think I'm going to enjoy it. I've got the water here, and here I sit, and eventually things start to dry up a little bit. You can imagine as he sat there and watched it one day from the next, as it got a little bit slower and a little bit slower, and then it became a trickle, and, and eventually, the, you know, it doesn't just dry up overnight and just slowly starts to dry up with, with no lack of rain. Interesting. Why would God allow the brook to dry up? God, why don't you just keep it flowing for him? Just miraculously, because see, God's plan is unfolding. God's plan is to move Elijah somewhere else. In order to move him, he's got he's to he's stop supplying the resources here so that he'll move somewhere else. He, he's got to make him a little uncomfortable because it's, don't you think Elijah being human is a little worried about, you know, you got, Lord God, here I am, but there, what am I going to do without water? It's great the birds are dropping off stuff. But when, I can't live without water. It, it's it's got to bring him, he's got to be worried about it in a sense, or at least somewhat. You see, it's at this brook, it's at this brook that the Lord wants to show Elijah some things. He, he, he's seen the protection of God because God's moved him away from Ahab and from Jezebel. God's saying, Lord, Elijah, I'm showing you my protection. But he also is going to get to see during it this brook, I believe there's, there's sweet fellowship with God. Because there's something really special about getting away from everyday life and spending some time with God where he didn't have any distractions. He was by himself with the Lord. There was, it, it's, just, it's just Elijah and God. You know, if, if you've never taken your Bible, just your Bible, not your computer or your phone, just, just a hard copied Bible and go sp sit someplace quiet alone with God and just read for a while. It's, I, I encourage you to do that. There's something special. You'll be amazed at what the Lord shows you in his word as you get out of your house or you get out of your office or you get out of wherever it is where all of the distractions of the TV and the cell phones and the computers and the emails and all the dingings and the, the Facebooks. If you get out of all that and just spend a few minutes, a few hours, if you can, whatever you can with the Lord. I would encourage you that if you're dry, that's where you need to be. But he's also seen the provision of God at this brook, hasn't he? Miraculous provision. 
God's teaching Elijah, I can provide for you. And I, I've provided the food for the ravens, and I can provide the food for you also, Elijah. And he's learning this. This, this, is, this is, we're watching a prophet go to the school of ministry here. This is his, this is his Bible college, his education. He's, he's, he's living a life, and, and the Lord's leading him. Then, as the brook dries up, it says, oh, I got one more note here. I wrote this down. God wants to teach us to trust in him and not in his gifts. In other words, when the brooks, why would, why, would, why would God allow the brook to dry up? Because God wants you to be trusting in him and not in what his provision is. You see, because that brook might dry up and he'll take you to another place of provision. Maybe it's a financial provision, whatever it is, you know, whatever provision seems to be drying up for you in your life, it might be that God wants to move you to another one. It might be that he's going to provide for you somewhere else. And exactly what happens, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There's two problems in here, if you're, if you're Elijah. You know what they are? Number one, he's going to Zarephath. That's a Gentile city. I'm leaving Israel. I'm going to, the, I'm going to a Gentile city. You know what the second problem is? God said, go get, I've, I've got a widow that's going to provide for you. A widow was someone who couldn't provide for themselves. In, in this time, in biblical days, widows were very, very poor, widows mites. Remember the story about the widow's mite? They didn't have enough money or, or they, they weren't even able to provide for themselves. And now God says to Elijah, I, look what he says, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. You got to, Elijah's probably, I hope it's a rich one. I hope it's, I hope she's got money. I hope it's not your everyday widow. You know, I, I hope she's, you know, maybe I've been eating this stuff. The bird's been dropping off for a while. I'm, I'm looking for a good meal. Hope she can cook, you know. And he comes to verse 10. So he arose and he went to Zarephath again. So he arose and he went. Lord, I don't want to go to that Gentile city. I don't like those people. They don't understand us. They don't understand me. I don't want to go there. Lord, ever called you to do something or go somewhere or go to a people that you didn't like or you didn't want to? So he arose and he went. Do you realize had he never gone to the brook, he would have never got to spend the time with God. He would have never seen the miraculous, the miracle of the bird feeding him. He would have never got to struggle through the brook drying up and him, and at least in my opinion, trying to discern what, what's God doing here. He would have never got to hear the next step of I want you to go to Zarephath and to, to meet the widow. If he'd, have, if he'd have just taken on human logic, Lord, widows don't have money, that's silly, I'm not going there. That couldn't be from God. God would only tell me something I can understand. It's not true at all. God defies logic. He defies all human logic and human wisdom when he leads us. We have to be obedient to him. We also have to make sure it's the Lord leading us. And I just want to pause real quickly just to mention that it's real easy to say God's leading you. And I'm going to remind you or tell you if God is leading you, he's going to confirm it to you through his word. You know, especially if it's to do something major. When I was praying and trying to figure out if I was supposed to come to Cumberland, I had to have, I, I, my prayer was, Lord, I need confirmation in your word. You know, I can't go on a feeling. I can't go on, I just think I'm supposed to go to Cumberland. I can't, you know, there, you've got to give me a verse that I know is directly from you about ministry, about me, move, my family moving to Cumberland. And he did, he was faithful. It took prayer and fasting to get it. It took dedication. I had to have made the decision that I was going to go before he gave it to me. But he gave it to me. And I don't have time to go into that whole story tonight. But he, I, I, I throw out the caution that says, be careful, make sure you're being led by God because I've watched many people go, oh, I think God's leading me. No, 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 no. If you think God's leading you, you don't go. Or God might be. No, no. You need to make sure that God's leading you. You need to confirm that God's leading you. You, know, you need to be sure of it. You don't just go because you think, because it's something you might want to do. Attach it to God's name to it and think this is a good idea. You, know? you need to find out what he wants you to do. 
And it comes through prayer and it comes through fasting. So Elijah is taken off here. He goes to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. So, you gotta, so here you are on your way to a Gentile city. You know that you're going to meet a widow. And you know that it said, he told you that I have commanded a widow. So you have God's word that says, I've already told the widow. I've commanded a widow that's going to take care of you. But how do you figure out which one it is? You know, do you go into the city gate and go, all right, who's the widow that got a word from the Lord? You know, come here I am, come feed me. This is the first widow he runs across. What's, he, what's, what's she doing? She's gathering sticks. What does that mean? What's she looking for? Firewood. She's gathering firewood. She's so poor that she's gathering sticks on, off the ground to make fire, to make a fire. She doesn't have a, somebody can't drop off a cord of, cord of wood at her house. There's, she doesn't have a chainsaw where she can cut down some wood. She's a widow. She can't cut down a tree. She probably doesn't have the strength to cut down a tree. She, she can't do it, so she's gathering all the little sticks and pieces, anything that anybody's dropped, anything that she can find, she's gathering. And it, it just goes to show how poor she was. She's, re, she's out gathering, pillaging for sticks. And, and here, is, here's, here comes Elijah. He says, bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now you'd think, she goes, oh, you're the one that God told me about. You're the one that God told me you were coming. Hang on, let me get this stuff for you. I've already prepared it for you. But at this point, it appears that God hasn't told her that. God's going to use her and hasn't told her that he's going to use her yet. So let's keep reading. So she said, as the Lord your God lives. In other words, whose God is it? Your God. She's not saying it's my God. She's being respectful. As the Lord your God lives. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What was she saying? She goes, I've got just enough food for one last meal. Cupboards are bare. It's empty. I've got enough flour and enough oil and I'm going to gather a few sticks, and I'm going to make a fire, and I'm going to make my son and I one last meal, and that's it. We're done. We have no more food. There's nothing left. That's it. That, this, is the, this is the situation. Now you've got to think of Elijah. I was hoping for the rich girl. You know? She's got nothing. But she said, I've got nothing. Notice what Elijah says to her in verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Don't fear. Do you think she was afraid? Can you imagine what it'd be like to be a mom gathering sticks for your last fire and the last little bit of food that you have? As your, as your motherly instinct, you know, do not fear. Do not fear. I love it. That's what the Lord says. Don't fear. God's got a plan. Don't fear. Maybe some of you need to hear that tonight. Don't fear. Do not fear. He said, go and do as you have said, but make me a little small cake from it first. I've been eating bird food for a while. Bring it to me. And afterward... Make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of your flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So what did Elijah say? All right, go. Make me a little small cake. Make mine first. Give me some. And then you make yourself some and you make your son some. You go ahead and do that. I don't want you to, be fe I don't want you to fear. But he says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, if you'll do this, if you'll make me my cake first and you'll make the rest, you'll never run out of flour. Your flour bin won't run dry. 
Your bottle of oil won't, it won't, won't be empty until there's rain on the earth again. This is a favorite Bible verse for TV preachers because they want your money. And they want to say, you're going to see that she's going to give the money and she's going to give to Elijah. And they want to talk about how this is the way we need to give. And they want to exploit all the, the poor people and the elderly people that don't have, you know, give me your last $20 and God will bless it. Send it in as a seed of faith and, we'll, and he'll do that. that. That's not what's going on here. God's doing something miraculous here. God's meeting this woman's need and her son's need. And at the same time, he's meeting Elijah's need. He hasn't even told this woman. He told Elijah, I've commanded the widow. He's commanded her in his power and his sovereignty. He said, I'm going to use this widow to feed you. She doesn't even know that she's being used by God. She has some, some nicety towards God. He's your God, but he's not really my God. He's in a Gentile city. We see that she's very poor. Now Elijah comes out and says, the Lord God of Israel is going to take care of you. Because you'll, if you'll take care of me, I'll take, the Lord God of Israel is going to take care of you. And look at verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her whole household ate for many days. What would you do, Mom? Last meal, a little bit of flour in the bin, a little bit of oil in the bin. Prophet of God comes around, says, here I am. Make me a cake too and you'll eat forever at least till the rain comes again. If you don't make me a cake, I can't guarantee what's going to happen. It doesn't say anything about it. What would you do? Would you, would you be willing to take what you have and give it to the Lord? Or, or is, is the Lord directed you? That's what she does. She gives it, she gives it to him. She, she, she hands it out to him. Her last meal, she gives him some. And it says, her and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of Elijah, of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Can you imagine every day, the first day you go in and you get a little bit of flour, you get a little bit of oil, you make the cakes, and you, the next day you go, I know it's empty, it was empty yesterday when I left it, and you go back and there it is. Still got a little bit enough, a little, little bit in the bottom, a little bit of oil, you make some more and you go back the next day. After about the third or fourth day, you get the hang of this. You'd be pretty doubtful the first couple of days, right? What's going to be today? But after a while, hey, this is pretty cool. It's like the manna that God provided for the manna in the wilderness. God's providing miraculously for her and, and for him. And they ate for many, many days, it said. The Lord's teaching Elijah through this too. What's he showing him? I can do it. I can provide for you. I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to provide for her. But there's a problem. Look at verse 17. Now it happened. After these things, the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? What happened? Her son died. Her, there's no breath left in him. Whatever it was, he got very, very sick. What is she, what is, who's she blaming? She's blaming Elijah. What do, I have to, what, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You've killed my son. Killing her son represents her hope. Her only hope at ever having something, that, something in life was her son would grow up and take care of her. That was what she was hoping for. My son would grow up, he would be able to work or farm or do whatever it was, and he would be able to take care of me. Now the very thing that she had a little bit of hope in, if I can raise my son, if we can just get him old enough, if we can just get him working, if we can just, he can take care of me. And now her son dies, and she looks at Elijah, and she says something interesting. Oh, man, what, have I to, what do I have to do with you? What, what's going, what good are you, man of God, essentially? Have you come to me to bring my sin to 
to remembrance. The death of her son is bringing some unknown sin back in her memory. It's, we don't know what it is. I can't speculate what it is. Uh, whatever it is, the death of her son is, is bringing it back. And now she's a mom who thought she was going to die. The Lord provided, and then what happened? Her son died. It's a bit of a roller coaster in life, don't you think? She's up, she's down, thinking, oh no, this is our last meal. I meet the man of God, he starts providing. We've been making cakes and, you know, for how many days now? And now all of a sudden my son gets sick and now he's dead. And she wants to blame God. She wants to blame the man of God. Look what Elijah says, give her to me. Give her to me. Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his own bed. The upper room was a temporary shelter, a room on, on the roof of her house. Up there. Lays him on, on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. And he said, O Lord my God, you have also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son. And he stretched himself out on the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord. And he said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. So we see this taking place. Elijah takes the kid upstairs, puts him on his own bed, stretches, prays to the Lord. He recognizes, oh, Lord, my God, it's his God. He, said, he reminds the Lord what's taking place as if the Lord doesn't know, but he still wants to hear from us. The Lord might know what's taking place in your life, but he still wants to hear it from you. He still wants that connection. And he says, with whom I lodge by killing her son. He understands the sovereignty of God's in charge of all things. It wasn't that God killed him, but God would have allowed that to take place. And he says he stretched himself out on the child three times. A dead person is unclean. Another unclean thing that he's here. He's, he's, he's changing the way that he's doing things. He cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's skull come back to him. Why three times? Is it some prescription for prayer that we need to bring people back from the dead? No, I don't think so at all. There was no prescription before this. At this point in the Bible, no one's been brought back from the dead. He's going to come back, but this is the first time. Why three times? I think because he prayed the first time. And this is my opinion. Because he prayed the first time and nothing happened. And he prayed the second time and nothing happened. I think the third time that he prayed. The third time he laid out on the child. That he prayed, laid on him three times. The third time, it says the Lord heard the voice of Elijah in verse 22. The Lord heard, Lord, Lord heard his voice. And the soul of the child came back to him. And he revived Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is the truth. How do you think Elijah felt when the son died? Don't you think he doubted God a little bit? God, what are you doing? What's going on, God? You know, why would you provide for these people only to, only to allow them to die in, in, in whatever time frame it was? Why, did you, why, did, why, why do we have, why, you're making her life worse, God. I, I believe that, was, that would have been his heart. But yet he also never doubted the fact that God could change the situation. He never doubted the power of God to be able to intervene and even take something or someone that was no longer breathing and bring them back to life he never doubted God's power when you take your step of faith in life whatever it be however small it be to start out and it's usually small steps don't doubt the power of God don't look at the circumstance and say well this isn't turning out the way I thought it's pretty cool when God provides miraculously and then something happens 
And you go, wait a minute, God. What happened? It's not supposed to work out that way. Elijah never doubted the power of God. Right after we, got, we moved to Cumberland, Rebecca got Lyme disease for two years and was sick. I never doubted that we were supposed to be here. And neither did she. We did ask God, why? You know, Lord, why? here, you know, we, we left, it's January, we left sunny South Florida. And it's February. Look how cold it is out tonight. Lyme disease, why, why? We're doing your work, Lord, why? And there's a reason for everything. He's doing, he's doing something through it. He allowed it to take place. And we continue to pray for healing, and she is healed. She never had a problem with it. She had the, the Lord, I believe the Lord used the doctors to heal her. So she, she's, she's past that. Yeah, amen. Sometimes the Lord can heal miraculously, and other times he heals through medicine. And after two years, he brought us to the right people, the right place that could to take care of the problem for her. You know, so, so he did heal her, and, he, and I give him the glory for that and, and the credit for that. But it was, I never doubted that we were supposed to be here, but it does make you scratch your head and go, why, Lord? What's going on? And Elijah's, he, he, this is his school of ministry. This is where he's learning that the Lord's plans are not always going to match up to his plans. It's not always going to look the way that he thinks. You know, he's probably wondering, when do I get to go back home? I'm tired of living under the tree. Now I'm living with this widow and her son. He's dead. You know, this, this, is, this, is, not what I, this is not what I thought ministry, being a prophet of the Lord, would be like. I thought everyone would want to come sit and fill my church and hear what I have to say. But now I'm living in the desert, and I'm living I'm on the run. But I also believe that this time in Elijah's life was very, very fruitful. As I said before, he was learning the protection of God. He was learning the provision of God. He was learning the fellowship with God, and he just saw the power of God. Because there's nothing demonstrates the Lord's power than bringing somebody back from the dead. Nothing demonstrates it like that. If you want to walk in faith, you've got to keep those things in mind. As you take the step of faith, you've got to remember it's God that's going to lead you. It's God that's going to provide for you. It's God that's going to protect you. I forget which, which, who, who said it, and I, can't, I wish I could remember the quote. But basically, it went something like this. If you're walking in God's will, nothing can hurt you until it's time, until the Lord's time. Nothing can hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of anything. If I'm walking in God's will, there's nothing that's going to happen to me outside. That God's not going to, until my work is done, there's nothing that I have to worry about. I don't have to fear that. And Elijah's learning that. And even though the situation, you know, would have been nice if he could have just stayed by the brook and, and got a spring instead of a brook and it would have just kept bubbling water and he could have stayed there all three and a half years. But the Lord used Elijah to provide for this woman and her son. And, then, and in doing so, he used Elijah to bring this woman's son back from the dead. And in doing so, all of the time, he's building Elijah's faith. He's building his faith, her, building his faith, building his faith. A little step here. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. He's building her faith too. Did you notice that? What, did, what was it that brought her to? What did she say? Now I know. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. It is truth. Now I know what you've been telling me is true. You've been telling about the God of Israel because I'm sure she, he had, they had to have the conversations. Now I know it's true. I've seen the power of the God of Israel. Baal? How's Baal doing? Still no rain, right? Brooks dried up. Things are getting worse. Still no rain going on there. Verse eight, or chapter 18. It came to pass... After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. It's been three years saying, go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. If God told me that, and I was in Elijah's situation, I would say, God, you've got to be crazy. That's a, do you know what that is? It's a death sentence. Do you think, 
do you think Ahab has come to the place and said, Elijah, you're God one, and you know, we, you know, we just give in, and, and we'll, just, we'll just worship the God of Israel? Or do you think Ahab is at the place where he believes Elijah made Baal mad, and therefore Baal's withholding the rain? Therefore, because of what Elijah said, because, in other words, Elijah's going to get all the blame for what's taking place. And whatever excuse Ahab has come up with in his mind, whatever excuse, however the culture has formed it and shaped it, whose fault is it? Elijah's fault. And now, God, you want me to go back in front of the man that I said, I, I just told him uh, there was not going to be any rain unless I said so. Now you want me to go back and tell him now it's time to get rain. How do I know he's not going to kill me? And I believe that God would have said it doesn't, you don't, it's not for you to worry about. Your, your job is obedience. You go do what I've asked you to do, Elijah. You take the step of faith again. So, verse 2, Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. Notice the, notice the pattern here. God says, Elijah goes. God says, Elijah does. God says, Elijah goes. Is that the pattern in our life? Do we have that pattern where God has said and led and you have followed along the way? You know, we don't have to make it more complicated than it is. It's really rather simple. Just come into obedience with him and let him lead. That's what a servant does, is looks to the master and says, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to, what, where, where do you want me to go? Well, I want, you to, I want you to go over here today, and I want you to talk to your neighbor. I want you to make him a pie, and I want you to bring it over there. I want you to say hello, and I want you to tell him, Jesus loves you. You're Lord, they'll think I'm crazy. Okay, don't go. But what if they don't think you're crazy? What if you walk over and the Lord uses you to minister to them and eventually down the road you might lead them to Christ or maybe they, maybe they were feeling down that day and the Lord just used you to lift their spirits for whatever reason. It's, it's, it, and you don't make these things up. You have, you, Lord, what do you want me to do today? You have to really go before the Lord. Lord, how can I serve? You know, we all have our jobs in our daily lives, but is, is there time for the Lord to lead you besides that? Will you, will you be willing to go when he gives you something off the wall to do? Something crazy to do? Or sometimes we make ourselves so busy we don't have time to go. Right? Sometimes we've got so much going on in life, there's just no time to go. I'd like to go, Lord, but I've got this going on tonight. I've got this going on tomorrow night. And if you'll get with me on the 23rd of next month, Lord, then I can go. Be careful, Christian. Make yourself available to the Lord and see if you're not available to be used by him, how can he use you? Well, I want him to send a lightning bolt. Then I'll know he wants to use me. I'm telling you, he wants to use you. He wants to use you tonight. Everybody that's sitting here, he wants to use you tomorrow in some fashion. I, don't, I can't tell you what it'll be. I can't tell you whether, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to stand in, on some stage and declare something and call lightning down from, I, I can't, none of that, it might just be something little. But an act of obedience to God is an act of obedience, whether it be little or small, and the reward is it's the same. It's the same. Are you ready? Are you willing to go? Are you available to go? Elijah went, presents himself to Ahab. There was a severe famine in the Samaria. And Ahab had, now he's backing up a little bit, Ahab had called Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That means he feared the God of Israel, not, not Baal, but the God of Israel. By the way, this could be the same Obadiah that wrote the minor prophet. It might not be. There's actually three Obadiahs in the scripture that that could be attributed to. Uh, so it could be the same one. Verse 4, for it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them. 50 to a cave, and he fed them with bread and water. Ahab said to, had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water 
and to all the brooks, perhaps, maybe, we, may we, may we, we may find grass to keep the horses and the mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Did you catch how severe the famine was? The animals are dying because there's no water to drink. So Ahab says to Obadiah, look, you go this way, I'm going that way. Look, let's just see if we can find something. Everything's dry. We, the animals are dying. If we don't find something, we're not gonna, they're, they're going to die. They, they can't live without water. And then in verse 7, now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. There's one of those meetings. There they are. Do you think that Elijah knew where Obadiah was? No. Do you think Obadiah knew where Elijah was? No. Also, they meet up in the middle of the desert somewhere. It's a coincidence, right? Or do you think this is a divine appointment that God had made for both of them? God's leading both of them. God says, I think God orchestrated the whole split between, between Ahab and Obadiah. And here they are. Here they have this meeting. Don't ever consider the fact that you run across somebody in life is, is a coincidence. Perhaps it's a divine appointment from the Lord. Perhaps you run across somebody at the, at the market or, you know, wherever you're at, at work, or, and you run, I haven't seen them in a long time. Maybe the Lord's bringing you together for a reason. You know, I don't know. It, or maybe it is just, you know, just passing by. But how often have you met somebody and you realize this is not a coincidence? The Lord did bring you to this place for a reason. I, don't, I believe that every one of our Bible studies are not coincidence. I believe everybody's here tonight because they need to hear exactly what this Bible study says. Because there's something in there for you. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's in a divine appointment to meet with the Lord. What can we take out of it? So they meet. They have this meeting. And look what uh, Obadiah is on his way. Suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him. And he fell on his face. He said, is that you, my Lord Elijah? Fell on his face. Why? Elijah's got a whole lot of respect right now. <laughs> He's holding the keys of rain. And they're believing it now after three years. And he answered him, so it is he answered him and said, it is I. He said, go tell your master, Elijah is here. <laughs> Look at Obadiah's response. So he said, this is Obadiah now, so he said, how have I sinned? What have I done wrong? That you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when he said, when he said that, he's not, when, and when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom of the nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? It's going to come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place that I do not know. So when I go and I tell Ahab that you cannot find you, he's going to kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So what, what's his complaint there? He said, wait, 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 Elijah, Elijah, listen. I know what's going to happen. You know, Ahab has been looking all over for you. He has taken oaths from everybody. So if someone said, if, if they had seen you and they swore they hadn't seen you, if they find out that, they, that he, they, they knew, you knew where he was, off with your head. That's what's going to happen here. See, I'm going to go tell Ahab, hey, I found Elijah, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to just kind of float you away somewhere else, and I'm going to be dead. Are you crazy? I don't want to do that. And he says something interesting here. He says, was it not reported to you in verse 13? Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and I fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. He's going to kill me. He's still stuck on the kill me part. 
I'm going to die. I don't want to die. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand. He started out standing before the Lord, and he's still standing before the Lord. He might move to different places, but he's standing before the Lord. As the Lord of the Lord of hosts lives, whom before I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, before we go any further, I don't think, and again, I like to let you know when it's my opinion, I don't think Elijah knew that Obadiah had saved a hundred prophets. I think that would have been encouraging to him. I think that as he, he you know, he, he's got to feel kind of alone at this point, don't you think? I mean, been three and a half years, I'm out, I'm out there, I'm kind of floating around, yeah, I'm meeting with the Lord, yeah, I'm, I'm going. The Lord's had me in isolation, then he brought me to the widow's house, and that probably wasn't much better, and, and then all of a sudden the Lord says, I want you to go back, I want you to go back and proclaim it to the world. See, there's a time to be alone with the Lord. There's a time to grow in, in private, and there's a time to go out and publicly proclaim what God's doing, or what God's told you, or what God showed you. And as Elijah takes a step, and he's going to go out and public, publicly proclaim, he's got to be wondering, is there anybody else with me? Am I the last one? And he's actually going to make that complaint in future chapters. But am I the last one? And here Obadiah says, no, 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 no. When Jezebel, when she was killing all the prophets, and that just shows you her heart, doesn't it? I'm killing all the prophets. You see, you see where she wanted to go? I took a hundred of them and I hid them. I didn't get them much food, but I gave them enough to survive. They're in the, they're in the caves. Isn't that awesome the Lord protects them? Some, some he's going to protect. And It happened, verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Notice, notice what Ahab thinks of him. He's a troubler. This is all your problem. Now, the funny thing about this whole thing is if you were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you would find out that the promise was to the nation of Israel was that if you leave me and begin worshiping false gods, I'm going to withhold the rain. Deuteronomy 28, verses 23 and 24. I'm not going to turn back there. But if you were to leave me and, and go do that, there's going to be a drought. That, that's what he told him back there. There's going to be a drought there. So here he is, Elijah, standing before Ahab. You little troubler of Israel. And, Ahab, and Elijah answered, I haven't troubled Israel. It's not me. But you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals the false gods. Elijah puts him straight. Look, no, 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 no. I'm not the problem in Israel. You're the problem in Israel. You're the one not living up to God's word. You're the one worshiping Baal. You're the one leading the people, just like your fathers before you and the kings before you. You have done this, Ahab. No, nobody wants to hear that about themselves, do they? If I was God, I would have just scorched him right there. Zzz, done. Her, that lady Jezebel took me hand. Zzz, that is zapped. I'd, I'd be throwing lightning bolts all over the place. It'd be like the 4th of July. It wasn't even America. Look what Elijah says. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That means they were so tight in the false religion and the worshiping of idols, they were eating at the king's table. They were eat, it was, God was out. And here Elijah makes a command. He says, listen, Ahab, you go gather your 450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of, of uh, Asherah. You go get them. You bring them. And you meet me up on Mount Carmel. 
Carmel, however you want to say it, whatever your accent is, Carmel, Carmel, whatever. You meet me there. You know what, Jezebel, you know what, you know what Ahab's going to say? I'll meet you there. You know what they're going to do? We're well, going to have to come back next week to find out because we're out of time for tonight. But I would strongly suggest you come back because it's a great story. I will let you know, we do know where Mount Carmel is. And uh, when we take our trip to Israel, uh, you can stand on Mount Carmel and look out over the Jezreel Valley. Uh, it's an amazing place, and they have a monument, and there's a church there and everything else. And, uh, we, you know, we don't know exactly where, where we're going to read about what took place in, on Mount Carmel. We don't know exactly where it was on the mountain, but you can get up on that mountain, and you can stand out there and look over that Jezreel Valley. It's, an amaz- it's a very high point. It looks over the whole valley. It's where the Battle of Armageddon will be that the, Rev- the book of Revelation talks about. It's an amazing place. But we leave tonight, and I just want to remind you of this. <clears throat> Elijah's steps were one at a time. God didn't say to Elijah, all right, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell King Ahab that it's not going to rain, that I'm going to hide you down by the brook for a while, and I'm going to feed you with birds, that I'm going to take you to a, a widow's house, and a widow's going to, I know she's poor, a widow's going to take care of you, and her son's going to die, and you're going to bring him back to life, then you're going to run into Obadiah, and he's going to tell you about the prophets that, I'd, that he'd saved, and then I want you to go back. He didn't tell him all that, did he? If he had told him all that, what would, what would have happened? I don't know. He might have said, I don't want to do all that. I just, I just, I don't want to do that. I, you don't have to do it all. He doesn't, God doesn't give us the whole plan laid out. Oftentimes, he'll give us the, the, the end, where we're, where we're going with something. He'll give us where we're at, but then we think we're going, to, and it, we're not, we're going over and over, up the mountain, down the mountain. We're going here and around, all around to get there. But it's God's plan, and we have to follow it one step, step at a time. And that's what we see taking place in Elijah's life. We see him, I believe that he was taken for these three and a half years because God was teaching him. God was showing him. God was teaching him his provision, his protection, his fellowship, all, his power. He was showing him all of these things. Oh, I got three P letter, I should have got a P letter word for fellowship. Protection, provision, power, and fellowship. I couldn't think of another one. God was showing him all of these things. He had to get him alone for a while. He had to get him alone for a while. Get alone with God once in a while. Take the step, whatever the next step is. If you're, if you're here and you go, I don't know what the next step is in my life. Right? What are you talking about? I thought my next step was coming to church tonight. I can assure you that God has plans for you. I don't know what they are. But are you, have, you, have you taken the steps that he's laid before you or are you still stuck on the last step? Did you not like what he told you to do or, or the direction he was leading? That's not for me and you just backed off? If, if, you, if the, the brook's going to dry up. If, if you're not following, he's not going to give you the rest. But here's what you can be confident of. Whatever his steps are, they might be difficult and they might be hard, but it's going to be much, much better for you than if you don't take them. It's God's plan is always better than your plan. God's ways are always better than our ways. They're higher than our, he, he, we can't understand them all. If he laid, it out, laid our plan out for our life, we'd look at it and go, no way. There's probably things in your life that you've been through today. I would never go through that voluntarily. But then you look through it and you realize God was doing something and you go, I, I would go through that again if I was able to. One of the most amazing things, that I, and one of the ways I can illustrate this, is I have a nephew uh, in his early 20s. He got into, he, was, he was, uh, was not saved. He got into, he was out drinking, got into a car accident, got ejected out of the car, landed on his head, almost died. His entire left side was paralyzed. Uh, after he got out of the hospital, somebody led him to Christ in the hospital. After he got out of the hospital, he began to talk with me. I began sharing scriptures and teaching him. 
and he, he still can barely walk on his left side. He walks, but it's kind of funny to, to watch him kind of, sta- I, he understands, we have that relationship. When I say funny, I don't mean like to make fun of him. But he, 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 get, he gets around, he, but he's not, uh, he, he, can't, he can't run really, and, he, and he, it's limit, very limited use on his left side. And you can ask him, if you were to ask him today and say, hey, David, if you could go back to that night again, would you have avoided the accident? You know what he'd say? No way. No way. I'll take my left side gone. I'll take the fact that I can't run around and play baseball or soccer with my son. I'll take that because now I have Jesus Christ in my life and I didn't have him before. And that's what it took for me to get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a difficult road, but it's always better. You know, you might look, oh, that's, that's that poor guy. That's not poor guy to him. He doesn't see it as a handicap at all. He sees it as a blessing. Because that, look what he got from it. You know, life isn't always going to be the way that we expect it. But if we're following the Lord and we're in his will, it's going to be what he has for us. It's going to be lining up with eternity, what's better for us. And it might be difficult, but he's not leaving you alone to go through it by yourself. He's with you. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, thank you for the humanity that we see in Elijah. Oftentimes we like to take people in the scriptures and make them people that they're not. Lord, you you so faithfully show us that they're just people. It's just like us. Lord, I just pray that as a group of people, as a group of believers, I pray that we're in your will. I pray that we're not wandering outside of your will. And Father, I ask that if we're, if we're not sure if we're in your will, would you show us what your will is? Would you reveal to us what our next step is? Lord, if you've told us to wait, would we be comfortable and patiently doing that? knowing that's the step that we're in? If you've told us to go, will we boldly go and remember that we're standing before you? Lord, may we not get sidetracked. May we not believe that you can't provide, that your power is not enough. May we not believe that fellowship with you is not so important. Instead, may we see the value in these things. And may you show us more of who you are as we walk with you every day. Before I close, just take a few minutes and spend some time with the Lord, and then I'll come back up and we'll close in a song.